Today on Grace to the Hearers with Pastor Eric Kluth. Because when we're under the Holy Spirit, the influence of the Holy Spirit, mighty things take place. Amazing things happen and Jericho walls fall down when the Spirit of God comes upon you. And so whatever environment, whatever situation you're in, under the influence of the Holy Spirit, I'm confident to say that you can expect great things from God. I can stand confidently and say that. As we study the interaction between Jonathan and his father, King Saul, we will learn about actions that can bring change in any difficult situation, like holding each other accountable and not sinning against the brethren. However, Pastor Eric will teach that above all things, in order to see change, we have to be under the influence of the Holy Spirit. Well, let's join Pastor Eric for part two of his message entitled, How to Bring Change. A change in your workplace. Maybe things are a drag around there. Maybe people are backbiting constantly. Well, maybe take a different route and try some grace in your speech. And speak good things about your coworkers, even if they drive you bonkers, you know, because people can drive you bonkers. It's okay, right? Uh, there's people that sometimes drive me bonkers, but the way that I speak, I just pray for extra grace, you know, uh, that I would deliver it that way. Uh, but no matter where you're at, your workplace, hey, maybe even your neighborhood, your neighbor is just, you know, man, he's just doing things that are off the hook, you know. But it's just like, okay, I need to speak with him with grace. Your schools, your houses. And the big one, you guys, to me is marriages. Marriages. You know, how do you speak to your spouse? Do you speak with loving words? Do you speak with kind words? Do you speak well of your wife? Do you speak well of your husband when they are not with you? Or do you call him the old bag, you know? I don't know. Is that term still relevant? I don't know. It doesn't matter. But whatever you call, that's pretty mild probably what people say. But whatever the case is, is your speech seasoned with grace? You know, if you want to see change, speak well of others. And, And I truly believe if we try that, if you make an effort and say, Lord, I need your ability to speak well of others, you'll see a change. You'll see a change. Okay, looking at number three, accountability. Within these verses, we see that Jonathan is holding his father accountable. We see that accountability, and this has got to be a big deal for Jonathan holding his dad, the king of Israel, accountable. Jonathan boldly asks his dad, why then will you sin, dad? Why are are you going to kill David? Why will you sin? Accountability, you guys, I believe is a trait that's dying within the church. It's dying within the church, to my belief, you know, to my observation. I'm not speaking of just this church, you know. And when I say the church, you guys, I'm just putting it as a broad, but it could be this church, okay? Of course, you know, really my observation is the church in America, the culture in America, because, and again, going back to the American culture that we live in today, 2015, is a culture that gets offended, that gets upset. Don't correct me. Who are you to correct me, you know? But accountability, understand this, accountability does not 
have to offend. Accountability does not have to offend somebody. It's not a negative thing. In fact, accountability is a beautiful thing. Uh, Being held accountable is a beautiful thing. Because accountability shows love. Accountability shows love. And if someone holds me accountable and tells me that, hey, what you're doing is not right, I'm going to think in my heart, wow, this person has a genuine concern for me. He has enough concern to warn me of my actions, to say, to speak up and to say, Eric, you are on the path of destruction and I would advise you not to continue, you know, in a loving way. It's been probably a couple years ago, there was a pastor uh, out of Calvary Chapel in Fort Lauderdale and he fell. He fell into adultery with women within the church. And so my question is this, I understand that he's human, okay, and that even pastors sin, that's no excuse by the way, but I understand that he could have that temptation just as anybody else, okay? My question is, is where was his leadership for the accountability? Where was the leadership for the accountability? Here at the church, you know, I tried my hardest to have that accountability to where I'm not alone with another woman. I don't care who she is. If, if she's not my wife, I'm not going to be alone with her because I don't want to put myself in a situation to where it could cause rumors. And so I've got brothers here in the church, you know, that I can call upon and they'll be there with me. And it's not awkward for them. They understand. You know, and I encourage our leadership to do the same. But whatever is placed on their heart, you know, I'm not trying to be their Holy Spirit, but I'm trying to lead them an example because we need accountability, okay? We need that accountability as believers. Accountability is an act of love, okay? But the only way that accountability works is through truth. (laughs) Truth needs to be given. Truth needs to be spoken, Because if you're not speaking the truth, if you're only telling me what I want to hear, then it's not holding me accountable. Does that make sense? Okay. But truth that is given with speech that is seasoned with grace. Okay? Seasoned with grace. If you come at me with lies and hate, guess what? I'm not going to listen. If you come at me with hate and lies, then I'm not going to listen. Because the Bible, you guys, says this about accountability. Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass... You who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself lest you also be tempted. Galatians 6.1. So here we see, you know, if a man is overtaken in trespass, if he is falling into sin, then the Bible is calling for the brethren of the church. So that means brothers and sisters, right? And I would encourage the sisters to hold the sisters accountable and the brothers holding the brothers accountable, okay? If we want change... We need accountability. If you want change in your schools, if you want change in your community, if you want change in your nation, your families, your marriages, even in our churches, we as believers need to hold any man that is overtaken with trespass or sin accountable, but doing so with a heart of gentleness, doing so with kind speech. Because again, if you're coming at somebody, you know, that... I think of that Saturday Night Live skit with Christopher Walken. You know, he's like, hey, you're coming at me all wrong, you know. I'll stab you with a soldering iron, you know. Just just, just that that thought process. I don't know if it was Saturday Night Live or a movie, but 
doesn't matter. But that's how most people are going to react if you come at them in a harsh way. They're going to back up like a crawdad. Number four, moving on. The importance of not sinning against the brethren, okay? Jonathan tells his dad that it's not a good thing to kill David without cause. This is never a justified reason to sin against your brother or sister in Christ. There is never a reason justified to sin against your brother or sister in Christ, okay? But when we sin towards each other, guess what happens? When you sin against your brother or your sister, and I'm speaking specifically to believers right now, okay? When you sin against your brother or sister in Christ, what's that going to do? It's going to give ammunition to the enemy to do what? To come in and to divide and to destroy, right? And so the Bible is giving us this great encouragement and advice to live towards each other. Because when we sin towards each other, when there is war and division within the church, guess what that is presenting to those who don't believe? man, that place is just full of hypocrites. I don't want anything to do with it. You know, if, if we're fighting with each other, we're speaking holy words, but within inside of us, we've like, got a tongue of a snake and a serpent. And so if we're constantly, like, we're, we're at war with each other, we're sinning against each other, but then somebody new comes in, and all of a sudden this dove flies out of our mouth, but then we go back over here, and the snake is going, you know, biting somebody, you know what? Non-believers aren't stupid, okay? They're very observant, and they're watching you and me. And so we must not be sinning against each other because it is tearing down the testimony of Jesus Christ. Therefore, we need to not sin against each other. 1 Corinthians eight twelve says this, but when you thus sin against the brethren and wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ pretty deep statement there. So when you sin against one another, brother and sister in Christ, you're sinning against Jesus. 1 John 2, 9 says this, he who says he is in the light and hates his brother is in darkness. Jesus said in John 13, 35, and catch this, you guys, this is it. By this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. They will know that you are the disciples of Jesus Christ if what? You hate each other, right? No? Hello? No. If you love one another, right? That's how they'll know if you are a disciple of Christ. When we sin against each other, does this show love? No, absolutely not. Of course not. And so if we want to see change as a Christ follower, a believer, the Bible is asking us not to sin towards each other. Now, again, we should want not to sin at all, but specifically cherish the relationships of a brother and sister in Christ. They're not your enemy, even if they go to a different church, you know? They're not your enemy. And so, again, if we want to see change, we must, instead of sinning towards one another, we must have a heart of love towards one another, pretty amazing stuff. Those first four things in this, in this chapter is amazing. And that those were just simply uh, examples by Jonathan with his father. Now, w- moving on, verses 8 through 24, uh, it says this, and there was a war again, and David went out and fought with the Philistines and struck them with a mighty blow, and they fled from him. 
Now the distressing spirit from the Lord came upon Saul as he sat in his house with his spear in his hand. And David was playing music with his hand. Verse 10, then Saul sought to pin David to the wall with the spear. He's breaking his promise, but he slipped away from Saul's presence. And he drove the spear into the wall. That's some force behind that spear. So David fled and escaped that night. Verse 11, Saul also sent messengers to David's house to watch him and to kill him in the morning. And Michael, is that it? Mikhail, Michael, Mikhail, David's wife, told him, saying, if you do not save your life tonight, tomorrow you will be killed. So Mikhail let David down through a window. And he went and fled and escaped. And Mikhail took an image of a, and laid it in the bed. This is hilarious. Put a cover over, uh, a cover of goat's hair for his head and covered it with clothes. That's hilarious. (laughs) So when Saul sent messengers to take David, she said, he's sick. (laughs) Then Saul sent the messengers back to see David saying, bring him to me in the bed that I may kill him. And when the messengers had come in, there was an image in the bed with a cover of goat's hair for his head. Then Saul said to Michal, Why have you deceived me like this and sent my enemy away so that he has escaped? And Michal answered Saul, He said to me, Let me go. Why should I kill you? Verse 18. So David fled and escaped and went to Samuel at Ramah and told him all that Saul had done to him. And he and Samuel went and stayed in Nithoah. Now it was told to Saul saying, Take note, David is at Nitha and Ramah. Then Saul sent messengers to take David. And when they saw the group of prophets prophesying and Samuel standing as the leader over them, the Spirit of God came upon the messengers of Saul, and they also prophesied. Verse 21, And when Saul was told, he sent other messengers, and they prophesied likewise. Then Saul sent messengers again the third time, and guess what? They prophesied also. Verse 22, then he also went to Ramah and came to the great well that is at Seku. So he asked and said, where are Samuel and David? And someone said, indeed, they are in Naoth in Ramah. Verse 23, so he went there to Naoth in Ramah. Then the Spirit of God was upon him also, and he went on and prophesied until he came to Naoth in Ramah. Verse 24, this is amazing. And he also stripped off his clothes and prophesied before Samuel in in like manner and lay down naked all that day and all that night. Therefore they say, is Saul also among the prophets? An amazing end to the chapter because here we see that there is a war that breaks out again with who? The Philistines, right? And David goes to war against the Philistines and he delivers a mighty blow to them. But now in the midst of that, Saul then is, the scene is back in Saul's house, and the distressing spirit from the Lord, maybe could be the spirit of jealousy, came upon him again, and he's sitting there in his house with his spear in his hand, probably thinking, oh, David again, defeated the Philistines, he's going to get all the credit again. He's thinking it. And so finally, that jealousy, maybe, uh, that's just my opinion. Jealousy then, within his heart, he then throws the spear at David. 
it misses David. He escapes that spear because it wasn't his time, and God had a plan for him. It reminds me often of quite a good picture of Jesus in the temples. You know, as the Pharisees were trying to kill Jesus, he slipped away when it wasn't his time. But the, the spear goes into, lodges into the wall, and David splits. He's out. He's gone. Amazing, right? But then Saul doesn't stop there. He decides to send his messengers, his cronies, right, to David's house. And he, he goes, I want you to kill David in the morning. And so Saul's daughter, David's wife, got wind of this. And she told David, you've got to go. Because if you stay here in the morning, you're dead. You're a dead man. And so she let him down the window and he takes off. And so in meanwhile, she comes up with this brilliant idea. Hey, I'll get like a carved image of something like a statue in the house. Uh, not necessarily an idol that they worshipped, okay? It doesn't clarify that in the Hebrew or the Greek, but it says like a statue. So they put the statue in the bed, put the goat hair on it, put some clothes on it, and uh, we want to see David. He's sick. <laughs> okay. Thanks. For, thanks. We're going to go. And so they go back. Uh, he's sick, Saul. What do you mean he's sick? Go get his bed and bring him here so I can kill him. You know? And, and so he, they go back to the house, and there they uncover the image of the uh, whatever it was and the, covered in goat's hair. And Saul said to his daughter, why have you deceived me like this? And she didn't tell the truth, did she? She said, well, he said to me, let me go. Why should I kill you? Put it on David. Anyways, David then goes to Samuel and tells Samuel all the things that Saul had done wrong. And so then, as he's with Samuel, Samuel then is, the next scene is amongst those who are prophesying, okay? And when it says that they were prophesying, that doesn't mean that they were gathered around predicting the future. The Hebrew word here, prophesying, uh, speaks the idea of being under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. They were under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. When these messengers came to seek David to kill him, guess what? God says, I'm sorry, you're not killing my servants. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon them to when they were under the influence of the Holy Spirit themselves. And they were, instead of cursing God by attacking his chosen one, they start praising his name. And so then they start praising, and Saul gets word of it and says, I'm going to send more guys. And guess what? They fall, and they start worshiping God. This isn't working. I'm going to send more guys. Then they started worshiping God. He did that three times. I think a total of four, actually. Four times that he sends the people to kill David, but God did not allow it. Instead, he churns their evilness into a heart of worship towards him. Amazing. Did they stay that way? The Bible doesn't say, okay? But then Saul, probably perturbed at this point, and said, you know what? It's hard to find good work these days, workers these days. I'm going to go do it myself. And so he goes, and he calls out, hey, where's Samuel and David? Oh, they're over there. Okay. And guess what? The Spirit of the Lord came upon him as well. And not only did he start worshiping, praising, God took it to another level with King Saul, and the Spirit had him stripped naked all day and all night. Nakedness in the Bible is a form of humility. And so God was saying, guess what? You're not touching my servant. Instead, I'm going to humble you. And the people that were walking by, is Saul, does he worship God? 
First of all, man, what a blow that is, right? If the king of Israel and you don't, you're not known for worshiping God, they question that. Uh, crazy, right? But here's the number five, guys, as we are wrapping this up. Number five to bring change. Be under the influence. Be under the influence. What do you mean by that? Well, this evening we've looked at four things that will bring change. But the fifth thing is the ultimate thing that tops the list, the thing that brings the most change, and that's being under the influence. And that is speaking of under the influence of the Holy Spirit. Because when we're under the Holy Spirit, the influence of the Holy Spirit, mighty things takes place. Amazing things happen, and Jericho walls fall down when the Spirit of God comes upon you. And so whatever environment, whatever situation you're in, under the influence of the Holy Spirit, I'm confident to say that you can expect great things from God. I can stand confidently and say that, that you can expect great things from God because God is a great God and God is a powerful God. Therefore, His Spirit, His character, who He is, His, his being is upon you, great things are going to happen. Jesus said this to his disciples in Acts chapter 1. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be my witnesses to me in the Jerusalem, in all Judea, and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. Jesus is saying to his disciples before he ascends into heaven, you guys want the power? Oh yeah, we want the power. Then the Holy Spirit needs to fall upon you. You need to wait for that. And once they receive that church, that just transformed the ministry leaps and bounds. And yet that ministry is still effective today through those who have that same fire, that same passion for Christ. The Holy Spirit is upon them and they are fired up and God is doing righteous and amazing things in and through them. When the Holy Spirit, when you're under the influence of the Holy Spirit, you guys, if you want to change your workplaces, Again, if you want to change your community, your neighborhoods, your marriages, your cities, your states, the country that we live in, be under the influence of the Holy Spirit. If you want that change, under the influence of the Holy Spirit, while under this influence, Satan and his army will attack, and those attacks will not stand. They will not stand before the Almighty God. The Word of God says this. He says, And do not be drunk with wine, in which is dissipation. But check this out. But be filled with what, church? With the Spirit. Be under the influence of the Holy Ghost. Be under the influence of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Ghost, man. I love that picture, right? Be under the influence, you know. Oftentimes we can be, you know, that term, be under the influence is a bad thing. And it is being a bad thing under the influence of alcohol or drugs. There's my little, whatever you call it, the more you know. <laughs> you know, the more you know. Don't be under the influence of drugs or alcohol. But be under the influence of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Okay, so concluding this, how do we bring change into the environment that we live in? Number one, church, present the what? The truth. Number two, Speak well with others, of others. Number three, accountability. Number four, the importance of not sinning against the brethren. And number five, be under the influence. Well, that's all the time we have for today here on Grace to the Hearers with Eric Kluth of Calvary Chapel Coolidge. Don't forget to join us next time as we continue our verse-by-verse study through the book of 1 Samuel. 
Now, as we mentioned at the beginning of today's program, we'd like to make available to you a free copy of today's message. We can send you a copy of today's message on audio CD when you email us at info at gracetothehearers.com. That's info at gracetothehearers.com. Or you can listen to or download the message as originally recorded at Calvary Chapel Coolidge. Just visit our website at gracetothehearers.com. If you can't get to your computer to download or place an order, you can always call us at 520-723-7047. We'll be happy to help you. Again, that number to call is 520-723-7047. Again, we invite you to visit our website at gracetothehearers.com, where we provide helpful information about our beliefs, service times, and a convenient map to our church if you're in the Coolidge, Arizona area and would like to visit us. The Bible teaching that you hear each day on Grace to the Hearers is from the worship services at Calvary Chapel Coolidge. So, if you've been blessed by today's message, join us for worship. Grace to the Hearers is the radio ministry of Pastor Eric Kluth of Calvary Chapel Coolidge. Please join us next time as we continue our study through the book of 1 Samuel. That's next time on Grace to the Hearers. Grace to the Hearers